Well, good morning. Good morning. So let's, uh, there's my picture for this morning. Isn't that great? Doesn't that say it all? Doesn't that capture it? So uh, we're heading into uh, the last of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit today. Uh, it actually comes earlier in the list, but it got preempted till now, and so it's a good place to, to conclude. Uh, this picture, it kind of captures it, but I've actually got another picture in my mind's eye. And it comes from about 32 years ago when uh, my dear wife Sarah and I stood at this place and got married. And uh, we had actually gotten a very, very good uh, photographer whom uh, my sister Susan had discovered for her marriage to Terry about four months earlier, and the pictures were great, and we thought, well, let's do that. So he took amazing pictures. In fact, that picture on the wall there used to hang right wow. here, and he managed to get, when we did the kiss, managed to get that bolt of lightning right between our lips, and it's this stunning picture. So he has great pictures, and we got this beautiful, beautiful album, which we still treasure, but my favorite picture was not taken by him. My favorite photo of the whole day was taken by Paul Arden. Is Paul here? Well, you can congratulate him later. Paul, there he is. Do you, do you remember this picture? It was a stunning picture. I love it. It's my favorite picture of our wedding. We had just walked out the doors, and uh, Paul was out further to the street and was taking a picture back towards the door, and I was facing out, and Sarah was facing me, and her uh, veil was blowing in the breeze, and I have my arms out ready to embrace her, and it's like my eyes and my face and my arms and my whole body is saying, yes, <laughs> finally. That's the picture in my mind of joy. You probably got some pictures in your own mind of joy. Have you got moments that you can think back on? That? Yes. Just think. And there's moments that joy just wells up inside us, and we are so glad. Now, the issue today, though, is that in this passage that we've been looking at all through the summer of the fruit of the Spirit, Paul instructs us and tells us that actually joy is one, of, one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit which is to be ongoing in our lives, moment by moment. And the question then arises, how do we possibly maintain that? How do we possibly keep joy going. What do we do in those moments when the circumstances do everything else but produce joy within us? In fact, when they seem, the circumstances seem to be against any joy that we might have. So I uh, took a look through my Bible, and I did kind of a word search, and I did a treasure hunt, and I especially looked into the New Testament, and I wanted to discover what I could discover in the Scripture uh, about joy and what this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to look like in our lives. And so I want to report to you what I've discovered, and there are three things uh, that... Um, kind of uh, seem to summarize all of the different aspects of joy. And so let me just give you a preview. The first is the joy is a gift. We find joy as gift. The second is we find joy as response. And the third is we find joy as 
command. And before we plunge in, let's just pause and pray and ask that the joy of the Lord would be with us as we look into His Word and be instructed in this aspect of His Spirit's work in our lives. So, dear Lord, uh, thank You for Your Word again. Thank You that You have given us joy. Thank You that You invite us into joy. And uh, would You please... um, Uh, please instruct us this day into more of the joy that you have for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name to his glory. Amen. Amen. So the first thing I want to reflect on uh, from the Scripture is joy as gift, uh, which is to say that true joy does not actually come from ourselves. It doesn't find its source in us. It actually comes from beyond us. And the Scripture tells us what that true source is. And you know what it is. We just heard it read. Nehemiah, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, joy, true joy, real joy, deep joy, comes from the hand and the heart of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so I trace through, and uh, there's joy that comes as gift from the Father. This is what Paul says in Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. My mom has had a a card about this size uh, printed with the whole of this verse sitting on her dining room table for the last three years. My uh, brother Pete printed it out for her and gave it to her as a gift. It's sitting at her bedside in the hospital now as she's recovering from a fall and broke both her shoulders. But she's still positive, and I think part of it is she revels in the truth of this, the God of hope filling her with all joy. And of course, in his parable that that Jesus speaks about the prodigal son going off to a distant land and coming back and the father embracing him, Jesus reports the father as saying to the elder brother, we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was lost and is found. And the joy that the father has over us, he extends to us and gives to us and plants in our hearts. Uh, Joy also comes from the son from Jesus himself. And so on the night before he went to the cross, uh, Jesus again and again made reference to the fact that he was wanting to plant his joy in the hearts of those that were assembled there and by extension in our hearts. And so this is what he says, John 15, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, if if we're to have real joy, it has to be the joy of the Lord Jesus himself that comes and resides in us, and he gives us that joy in the things that he speaks, the instructions he gives. And then praying to the Father later that evening, he says, I'm coming to you, and then he says, I've said these things so that the full measure of my joy may be within them. Full measure of the joy of Jesus. Father and Son are the source of this joy, but so is the Spirit. And we know that because of the passage we're looking at. Uh, Galatians 5 says joy is one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. It's what He uh, births in our lives, uh, what grows in our lives from 
him. But I want you to listen in to the experience of some of the early believers in a place called Pisidian Antioch. They knew nothing about the gospel, but Paul and Barnabas came and preached to them, and they responded, and they received, and they became uh, followers after Jesus. And then uh, hostility broke out in that place against Paul and Barnabas, so much so that they had to leave town, which would, I think, have been a huge grief uh, to these new believers. But listen to the summary statement that Luke writes about this group of believers in Acts 15. The disciples were filled with joy. Really? In the midst of the hostility and Paul and Barnabas being, yes, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit within them is the source of the joy that they now feel. And Paul will say this uh, to the Thessalonians, he became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So joy is a gift. And the source of joy, of true joy, real joy, is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Sarah and I uh, both had uh, birthdays recently. I'm still waiting for gifts from anybody. That, uh, um, but actually, we got very well gifted by our kids. Uh, they all banded together, and they jointly got us this device, which is called a soda stream. Yeah? SodaStream is amazing. It uh, turns ordinary tap water into this fizzy, wonderful mineral water, or club soda. It's just, it's great. I love the fizz. But last week, I discovered uh, that it wasn't really working very well. And so I took the bottle, filled it up with tap water, attached it to the device, uh, did the, the three pumps, which I should do, and it was completely flat. So I drank that bottle and I tried again two or three times and it was completely flat, fizzless water. And of course the problem was that the CO2 canister in the back of the machine had run out. So what do you do? You can pump as much as you want, but there's going to be no fizz and the water is going to stay completely flat. And the soda stream needed a source outside itself. Enter London Drugs. And I discovered that London Drugs has these canisters, so I went and bought one. I brought it home, I reattached it, and I put my water in, and the fizz happened. So good news. We have a source much greater than London Drugs, and we need that source. We need that source. We need the joy of the Lord to be our strength. And joy is a gift given by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second thing I noticed in my perusal and kind of journey through joy, especially in the New Testament, is that joy is, uh, comes as response. And we know that. Sometimes joy just simply wells up within us in, in response to something we're experiencing. It's what happened to me outside those doors as I was reveling in the moment and looking my bride in her eyes and wanting to embrace. And we love those moments. And we should nurture them. All of us know the statement that says, uh, do not put yourself in harm's way. Which is to say that you should not go out after the service and step right into the midst of traffic on Granville Street, right? You shouldn't join a, a biker gang. You shouldn't jump off a cliff. 
Don't put yourself in harm's way. But I want to give you a new adage. Put yourself in joy's way. And what we discover in the scriptures is that there are many things that we can step into that cause joy to well up within us. So I want to give you three, and you can search out others. But the first one is most basic and most foundational. And it is simply double-barreled, Jesus himself and the gospel, the good news that he brings. Stay connected to him because the good news brings joy. So I've told you often that I um, spent summers way back in university days cooking at a camp up the coast run by Young Life uh, called Malibu. And I will never forget that when I was up there, there was a a woman who was the assistant property manager, uh, a good friend, and uh, still a good friend. Uh, She's in her mid-80s now. But she had uh, been involved with Young Life on staff for years and years, and she'd been to many, many, many Young Life camps. And I remember her saying that uh, there is a typical progression, and I'd seen it and I knew it, typical progression to the talks that would be given each night at a Young Life camp to lay out the gospel. And you could go to pretty much any camp anywhere in North America and have any different Young Life speaker, and you'd get pretty much the same thing pretty much same content. And she said, and she'd been to way more camp talks than I ever had, she said it was important to just keep on going to the evening club to hear the camp talk, to hear the gospel, because she said we should never tire of hearing the good news. We should never let it go dull. We should never let it grow old because it's in embracing Jesus and what he's done for us, the joy is allowed to well up within us. So I want to dip into a couple of places in the New Testament where uh, we see that this is the case. And the two places I want to dip are at Christmas and Easter. So think with me, the announcement that the angels made on the night that Jesus was born, what did they say? Don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. See, put yourself in joy's way. Keep embracing that good news, that a Savior has been born for you. It's good news. He's the Savior to rescue you. He is Christ, the Lord, the one who is your King. Listen to what Matthew tells us about the wise men. Uh, And the wise men, you'll remember, didn't even understand the whole of the story, but they knew something spectacular was happening. So Matthew tells us this, that when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I like this. Um, This is the New International Version translation, and that final word, which is a compound word, overjoyed, is just jammed full of rejoicing and joy. And it's actually much simpler than what Matthew wrote. What Matthew wrote, actually, he employed the noun and the verb both. And he says uh, that when they saw the star, they rejoiced with joy. But that wasn't enough for him either. He put in an adverb, add an adjective uh, to intensify it. So they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
The NIV just narrows it down, says overjoyed, which is true. But they were just filled with joy. And it strikes me that if those wise men got so much joy from a star that symbolized a spectacular event that they didn't even quite understand, how much more so should we have joy who have seen and understood and received Jesus as Savior and Lord and stepped into the incredible goodness of the good news? And then fast forward and think about the resurrection and think about the women who were absolutely blown away by the empty tomb. It was beyond anything they had ever expected. And so Matthew, again, in chapter 28, tells us, uh, so the women hurried away from the tomb afraid. Well, no doubt. They were shocked. They didn't know what was going on. They were afraid, but filled with joy because they knew the Savior was risen. So put yourself in joy's way and embrace Jesus in the gospel. And then the uh, New Testament tells us that uh, another uh, cause uh, for joy uh, that allows joy to well up is simply fellowship. The body of Christ, the church, other believers, brothers and sisters. Now, truth be told, the church doesn't always work that way. And sometimes the body of Christ actually causes us stress. But I bet you we've all experienced the true, real, deep, good reality of Christian fellowship. Sisters and brothers in Christ, giving support, giving encouragement, allowing us to have fun and friendship and and conversation and support and encouragement in such a way that joy blooms. So let me give you a taste of it from the Apostle Paul himself. And this is as he writes to the Corinthian church, which was in fact a church that gave him much grief. And he'd written to them strong rebuke, and yet he loved them and received joy from them. And so he writes and he says, we work with you for your joy. That's why we're interacting with you, that joy might well up. He said, I wrote these things to you. to those who ought to make me rejoice, I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. And then he goes on and talks about Titus visiting, and we rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus in relationship with you, Paul says, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Fellowship produces joy, and I've experienced it. Have you? Yeah? Yeah? I've experienced it here many years. I'm experiencing it now and being able to reconnect. I've experienced it in interchurch ministry situations with Alpha conferences or Young Life or InterVarsity. I've experienced it at camps uh, being away together. We were away two or three weeks ago at Barnabas on Keats. There's joy in the fellowship of being with brothers and sisters who know Jesus. I experienced it a number of years back when I was going through some intense church trauma. It wasn't here, it was somewhere else. And over a period of about a year, I had two friends who were out of town, but they kept phoning me regularly to see how I was doing, to encourage me, to support me, to say they were praying, and how can I pray? And their connection, their fellowship gave joy. So put yourself in joy's way and embrace Fellowship.
And then thirdly, I notice that the New Testament lets us see that uh, joy is a response in the midst of mission, ministry. Uh, to engage in the work of the kingdom that Jesus gives us actually sets us up not only to be obedient to Him, but it sets us up for joy. And yes, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be hardship, there's going to be hard things and conflict in the midst of ministry and mission, but there's joy. So Luke records for us that uh, Jesus, having sent 72 out on mission, they came back and returned with joy. Then Jesus tells his disciples in John 4, uh, look, uh, the, the fields are white for harvest. And then he says, the idea is that the one who sows and the one who reaps may rejoice together because they're involved in ministry and mission. And then later in Acts, as the good news is spreading and Paul and Barnabas are returning to churches and sharing with them what's happened among the Gentiles, uh, Luke writes for us that as they were describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, they were bringing great joy to all. So just think about the last time you heard that somebody came to faith in Jesus. Or the last time you saw somebody get baptized. Doesn't that give you joy? Doesn't it give you joy? Doesn't it give you joy? Somebody else has stepped into the kingdom, and it produces joy. And it's not just about conversions. When you engage in the work of the kingdom and see God at work, it gives joy. So um, three weeks ago, Sarah and I were up at Barnabas on Keats Island. And we were the speakers. I did most of the speaking in the morning. Sarah did most in the evening. Uh, and I was going through the Gospel of John. I, some key moments in John's Gospel, four of them that we took a look at. But on the, the first full day of camp, uh, there was a, a hike that went out to highest peak, and I decided to go. And uh, on the way down, there were only about eight or nine of us that went. On the way down, I was walking with two other guys. One was a pastor in a Christian Reformed church, and the other was a young guy in his mid-30s who'd grown up in a very, very legalistic, conservative, uh, Reformed church home. His dad was the pastor. And he'd... Um, uh, Lots of trauma, lots of dysfunction. But as we're walking down, he's just opening up his life to us, and he's telling us that he had all these addictions that he was struggling with. He'd been unfaithful in his marriage. His wife had held in there with him, uh, and he was uh, working to uh, get back on track. And he'd been re-engaging with the Lord in, in a fresh way in the, in the gospel and the gra and grace of the Lord uh, over the last year and a half, two years. And there was an older guy that had been his mentor walking with him, a guy in his mid-50s. And about 15 months ago, they had a huge blow-up in their relationship, and they had not spoken to each other since. And this young guy, as we're walking down uh, from the hike, told us that when he got on the ferry at Horseshoe Bay to go over to Gibson's, he saw this guy. And he thought, I hope he's not going to Barnabas. And then he got on the boat at Langdale to go to Barnabas and the guy was on the boat. <laughs> and so I said to him as we're walking down, would you like to pursue reconciliation? He said, I don't know. And so I said, well, you know, if it would be helpful to have somebody else there with you, I'd be glad to do that. 
Now, interestingly, I'd already had conversation with the older guy, not about this, but just connecting, and great guy. So anyway, the week went on. The last full day at camp, this young guy came up to me and said, we want to get together. I've talked to him. We'd like to get together after lunch, and we'd like you to be there. I said, great. That's great. And then we had our morning session. And I was speaking that morning about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And I'd been interacting with Sarah and a couple of the other staff about how we would end it. And what I really wanted to do, but I wasn't sure whether it was going to be okay or not, was to do something I've actually done here before, was to reenact the foot washing and to have three chairs set up and have people in those chairs and invite anybody that would like to to come up and wash those feet. And then after those feet were washed, the people in the chairs would get up and go and sit down, and the people that did the washing would sit in the chair, and anybody else that would like to would come up. So we decided we were going to do that. And it all worked great, except the middle chair, there was a glitch, and it just went empty. The other two chairs, people kept coming and going, but the middle chair was empty. And I watched as the older guy got up from over there very deliberately, and began to walk over to the center chair. And he picked up the bucket of water and a towel, and he walked over here to the guy in his mid-30s. And the guy in his mid-30s just started sobbing. And the older guy got down and washed his feet. And then the younger guy knelt at his feet and washed his feet. And I've got to tell you that when I met with him in the afternoon, the work was all done. <laughs> The one of them expressed to the other the things that he had done wrong in the relationship and asked for forgiveness. And the other expressed similarly. And they both extended forgiveness to each other, and then they both prayed blessing on one another. Huge reconciliation. We were at Barnabas for two weeks. That was the highlight for me at that whole time. Joy, because of seeing what God was doing in the midst of ministry and mission. So the third thing I notice in the Scripture as I'm searching through about joy is uh, that joy is a gift, yes, and joy is a response in the midst of uh, situations that uh, just cause joy to well up, but joy is also a command. And we are simply commanded to rejoice. And so Paul does this a number of times. To the Thessalonians, he says, be joyful always. To the Philippians, he says, uh, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says it again in, in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So the command is given even when the circumstances are bad. And you need to notice that the Philippians' instructions come from Paul's own heart of joy, and he is at that moment sitting imprisoned in a Roman prison, chained, not a situation that would spontaneously well up in joy. And yet, the command is given. And the command comes to us too, even when. So again, a story. 20, 25 years ago, uh, here at Granville, I was involved in leading an alpha group. And there was a woman that was leading it with me, whose name was Christine. Christine had just recently come to Granville. She had previously been at Marine View, and she came here and settled in. And Christine had written a book about her experience. 
And her experience about a decade earlier was that she had fallen in love with a guy named Gary. They're both believers, and they decided to get married. And then they discovered that Gary had HIV. And they agonized through what to do. And they sought counsel, and they decided to get married. And they were careful, they were wise. And they had, by Christine's uh, testimony, they had an amazing year of marriage. And then Gary got AIDS, full-blown AIDS, he got very sick, and he died. And Christine wrote this book that described the grief that she went through and the Lord being with her in the midst of it. And in that little alpha group on that night, I can't remember what the topic was, but joy came up. And Christine made a comment at that point, which I've heard often, but I have never heard anybody say it with such authority. What Christine said was, the joy is like the depths of the ocean. And the surface may be all in turmoil. There may be a storm. There may be chaos. But joy resides in the depths. And she had known it, and she had lived it, and she had responded to the command to rejoice, even when. And so the command comes to us also. It comes in the midst of suffering and hardship. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, James says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And I've got to say that depression can be one of those trials. And depression robs us of the ability to feel the joy that God is giving. And in those moments, I think the command to rejoice always can only be responded to by simply hanging on for dear life to the Lord. And that the joy is expressed in faith of holding on to Him, even when, looking to Him, even in the depths. And joy also comes as command in the midst of persecution. The apostles were persecuted in those early days, and they rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy of suffering for Jesus' sake. And then I've been reflecting over the last week, as I've been interacting with the Lord about a prayer that I haven't quite seen fulfilled the way I expected, and I'm feeling disappointment, spiritual disappointment been reflecting on these verses from the Old Testament that talk about even in the midst of disappointment. So Habakkuk says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And the very next line he gives is this. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Which then reminds me of what Nehemiah said, bringing us full circle. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So I want to invite us uh, to come into the Lord's presence and just pray and um, interact with him about the things we've reflected on from joy, from the scripture. He is the source, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pouring out their joy in our hearts. And the Sovereign Lord provides us with context, uh, situations in which joy can bloom, Jesus and the gospel being the biggest, but fellowship, mission, and ministry. And then we receive from the Lord's mouth the command, 
rejoice even when in the midst of hardship, in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of disappointment. So let's join together in prayer. And I invite you to say yes to the Lord and to receive afresh the joy that he gives. Let's pray. And so, dear Lord, we thank you that um, this is not about uh, stirring up feeling in our own hearts, but it's about receiving from you. Uh, This is one of those elements of the fruit of the Spirit. And so, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we joyfully receive afresh the joy that you give. And Lord, would you help us to be bold and brave and courageous to step right into the midst of those contexts that uh, allow uh, joy to, to blossom and bloom and grow. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our Savior. You have redeemed us. We thank you for the gift of fellowship and community. We thank you for the gift of being able to step into the work that you have called us to and the joy that it gives And then, Lord, by your Spirit, we pray that you would please strengthen us in our inner beings to be able to respond to the command to rejoice even when, even when. And, Lord, we put into your hands now the things that we are feeling like are joy killers at the moment for us. And we invite you to lift our sights to you afresh. For your name's sake, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.